welcome to Wonks and War Rooms, where political communication theory meets on-the-ground strategy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Dubois, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Ottawa. Today, my guest is Fatima, and we are talking about gatekeeping. Fatima, can you give yourself an introduction? My name is Fatima Syed. Uh, I have been a reporter in Canadian media for several years now, covering everything from crime to Queen's Park. Um, I've been with the Toronto Star, National Observer, and most recently with The Logic. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining today. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) All right. So I want to talk about gatekeeping theory today. Have you heard of gatekeeping theory before? I have. Theoretically, I think I am meant to be a gatekeeper. (laughs) What do you mean by that? Well, I think, so my perception of this theory is that there are certain organizations and entities in our society that um, are, are supposed to construct the world of information that you receive. And and part of that construction is making the hard decisions about what information is um, right to deliver to the public. Right might be the wrong word, but, you know, appropriate um, in its fullest form to deliver to um, the public so they can educate themselves and inform themselves about the world around them. As, as journalists, I think we're assumed to be gatekeepers, but I think you're, you're, you're also going to talk about how that's all changing and becoming more complicated. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It is. That's a really great intro to what gatekeeping theory is. Gatekeeping theory uh, is suggesting that we have a process by which information is filtered to the general public. The idea is there are gatekeepers who have some sort of control over information and have control over a particular point at which information flows from one group to another. We used to think about gatekeeping theory as there being sort of a set of political elites, largely mainstream media, that had these control points, these gates, uh, and so that might be at the editorial meeting deciding what stories go and what stories don't. It might be at the design meeting for the front page, what story makes it above the fold, what story doesn't. Uh, It might be later on about what gets promoted and talked about and and re-reported on. And those different gates then let information either flow through or not out to the gated, which is the population who make up the audience, the people who receive only a selection of all of the information there is out there. They get to consume only what makes it through those gates that those gatekeepers decided to to let through. You said that much better than I did. <laughs> no, I think I think that it's it's always interesting to hear the different languages we use to describe these processes because really good social science theory and really good communication theory is going to be able to articulate uh, an actual lived experience, a phenomenon mm-hmm. that we're, we see. And one of the main points of this podcast really is to try and test out the extent to which our theory match up with those experiences. And so, you know, question one off the bat is, does gatekeeping theory make sense to you in your professional experience? Is this how it works? So it does and it doesn't. You know, I first heard of the theory when I was in journalism school, which was like in 20. 20- 15, 2016. And 
it was in an ethics class in a journalism ethics class and 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 the way it was conveyed to us was that you know as journalists and as members of this media industry we have this heavy responsibility of being extremely careful about how we present information in our in our stories and in our articles you know and and that included everything from the context of that story to the interviews that we did the problem is is that i think gate keeping is a, a theory and this is my personal opinion untested <laughs> and unverified i think the gatekeeping theory is rooted in a very old construction of the world i think the world has changed rapidly since i was in journalism school and even i would say several years before that to the point where i now question um and and i'm and i'm uncertain about whether it still holds today because the idea of, of gatekeeping is that there are certain bodies with these responsibilities but and, and there's a certain amount of information that these bodies are in charge of but now in 2020 we're in information overload mode. There's there's way too much out there for any one organization to have control over. And also the organizations that exist have changed. I think when gatekeeping was sort of first created, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there was no Facebook. Correct. Um, <laughs> there was no Twitter. And um, social media alone has changed the very concept of gatekeeping, giving birth to ideas like, you know, is everyone a journalist? And if everyone's a journalist, is no one a journalist? And if no one's a journalist, is there no gatekeeper anymore? <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know if it holds up anymore. I think in theory, it's nice to think about someone protecting us from bad information. I think in actual practice, it's not actually enacted very well. Yeah. I really, I really find kind of that set of observations very useful because we often rely on media effects theories. This is a media effects theory, the theories about the extent to which mass media have an influence on the general public and what they think and how they develop their political opinions, et cetera. And a major problem with all of these theories is they were developed in a broadcast era and they were developed in a relatively low choice media environment. And now we actually have a lot more choice in where we get our information and who we decide to tune into and who we decide to ignore. And so I think what you've just described of the changed media environment is really central to the question of whether or not these theories still make sense one thing, though, is the idea of information control. So whether or not you can be the only gatekeeper maybe is a question, but I feel like you can still be a gatekeeper. You're still making a lot of those decisions when you're deciding who to include as a source in a story or when you're deciding which stories to even pursue you're still making choices that are about control of information. You're deciding what information you're going to give voice to and what information you're not. Yeah, I, I think at the heart of that is, is the issue of credibility, right? I think the responsibility of a gatekeeping sort of mechanism or role is that you are, you are forced to be careful so that people who are reading your work can trust you. Mm. Um, and, and for a journalist, trust is just currency in the bank. The more you have of it, the more, um, you know, the more the public will look to you to get their information and, and, and believe that that information that they're receiving is accurate without any hesitation. Um, and, and now in a world of, you know, 
overcrowded fake news and clickbait journalism and so many like blogs and websites that, you know, look like news, but not, might not actually be news. It's, it's more important than ever to consider the role of, of gatekeeping, both individually and as, an, as a news organization. But I think where it gets complicated is, is the dissemination of that information, right? Like, so I can take all the precautions on an individual level to ensure that, you know, I am, um, you know, using the right sources, you know, putting in as much context as uh, context as possible, fact checking everything, editing it carefully, um, making sure it's this perfect story um, with all the information someone needs to understand an issue. But what I don't have in my control is how it gets from me to anyone in the world. That is now in the hands of algorithms and computer technical terms that I'm not familiar with. Um, that's not in my hands, um, and I think. That's that that process is where I become uncertain about gatekeeping, because I think that's where we need gatekeeping more. And that's where we don't see it as much. And so do you see in a broadcast system before the Internet, would you as a journalist have had control over that dissemination? Do you think how would that have worked? I think so. I think like, you know, growing up, it was BBC for me. For In my household, it was BBC was like the news Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, the minute you heard the theme song, you knew you were going to get the news and you could trust it without uh, any hesitation. I know it's it's very different for, for various different people, but, but that was it. BBC Radio, BBC News. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, with people not turning to broadcasts as less and, and reading more or, or scrolling more and wanting it in bits as opposed to sort of lengthy uh, amounts, it's much harder to to protect, well, not really protect, to sort of, uh, I guess, to protect the environment through which information is, is dissemin- disseminated from, from the news industry to the public. We don't use one source anymore. It's not just BBC. It's BBC plus a random blogger on YouTube plus a Twitter thread by some expert plus, I don't know, a meme on Instagram plus, uh, you know, whatever you hear on the radio or a podcast or something. It's multiple, multiple avenues that you get it from. So how do you how do you how do you monitor that? Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And what you've just described, um, you know, fits in really well with what I talked about Uh, on a previous episode about a high-choice media environment where you've got all of these different uh, sources of political information and news, all of this different supply of that information coming to you from different people, different organizations, and via different channels. And so like the structure around how you interact with that information shifts too. And one of the things that's been proposed in response to that reality uh, is this idea of networked gatekeeping. So it deals with that problem that I think you really astutely identified where we don't have like the one group that's in control anymore. You don't have just one gatekeeper who gets to say, here's all of the information. I'm going to pick what everyone watches on the evening news at six o'clock every night. Instead, we've got a lot of different gates that exist and a lot of different gatekeepers who stand at different gates And they don't necessarily interact with each other or have sort of control over one another. And instead, you have this sort of like assemblage, a whole bunch of different pieces of gates 
and areas where you might have information or might not have information, right? We've got this whole web that we exist in. And sometimes it's even really difficult for us to know how many gates a piece of information went through, right? We could think about from uh, a news organization, okay, so there's editors and reporters and there's the, the web person who decided what is a good enough title to be then shared on social. And so we have all of the bits of gates and gatekeepers within a news media organization, but then that's all being placed on the internet, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Maybe there's a Snapchat uh, story that shows up too. Like there's a whole bunch of different choices and each of those different companies, which is housing that information, has had to make decisions about what information shows up trending and what doesn't. What information is pushed to the top of somebody's feed and what's not pushed at all. What information uh, seems interesting to the person who's clicked a lot of cat videos and not a lot of news videos versus the person who is very clearly a news junkie and wants everything they can get, right? So there is a bunch of potential for gatekeeping to exist there. And that's just looking at two parts of this media ecosystem. We also have personal choices and we make decisions about what we care about and what we don't care about. And our friends influence what we think is important and what isn't. So it starts to create this really complex network. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was also like, while you were talking, I was thinking, well, we can now choose what to read. And and that has complicated so much uh, of, of the gatekeeping role that media traditionally assumed because you have to make people like you to build trust. And that's inherently just contradictory. Like news media was never about preference. It was always rooted in fact that our role is to give you the information as truthfully and accurately and with as much context as possible. But now if you don't like us, we won't be able to do our role. Mm. And, and if we can't do our role, then we can't serve as gatekeepers for you. So we don't know what you're reading. So I think there's a weird sort of void at the moment where we're, we're dealing with people choosing what they want to see and read in this virtual world. And then also with traditional gatekeeper uh, institutions wondering how they sort of reconcile with that. And I haven't seen an answer, to be honest. I think we're, we're still we're still struggling our, our way through that conversation. But, you know, and, and that's why there's in, in recent months and, and years, I would say there's been a lot of headlines asking social media organizations like Facebook and Twitter to step up their game and say, well, OK, if most of the information is delivered on your platforms, maybe you should be the gatekeepers and you should ensure that the public that exists on your platforms is able to see the information they need to see not just the information they want to see because the information they want to see might not be verified um and and could be fake news or clickbait or 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 you know just satire um yeah so it's it's a very fine line and it's interesting when you see just you know just last week facebook saying that oh well we will strengthen our our rules of uh you know misinformation a week before the u.s election which is interesting because it's like you're not a news media organization you're you're a for-profit organization but all the information that we 
that exists in the world is also disseminated on your platform. Is this enough to serve as a gatekeeping role? So there's some really big questions in the context of this theory. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that that is a really useful example of, of Facebook. So Facebook, they announced a variety of different things that they're going to do to secure the integrity of the U.S. election in their language. And one of the things was a week before the election, we're going to stop allowing new political advertisements and issue advertisements. And so that is a very clear statement about we recognize that we have control over information. We have control over what information is allowed to be disseminated and what information is not. And we are drawing a very clear, hard line. And that's something that Facebook often hasn't done. And and social media companies more broadly don't really want to explain to you exactly how they control information because like that's the value of their entire product, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the whole value of their product is we will help curate all of the information out there for you. And in exchange, you will give us a bunch of information about yourself so that we can make advertising dollars, right? Like that's that's how it functions. So control of information is very essential to their business model and also pretty useful for us, right? Like pretty, I've been critical of social media and and their response in political contexts, but like at the end of the day, it's helpful. We like it. I think there's value. But I think one of the things that in media studies we do as we've been transferring from this broadcast era to a digital ecosystem We try and bring these theories in that, as you said, were developed to try and understand a very specific kind of relationship between news media and the public, particularly in a democracy. That relationship is really essential, uh, at least theoretically, for the strength of a democratic system, right? Like we really need to be able to trust news media to give us facts so that we can make informed voting decisions. Mm -hmm. And... And when we try and take those theories that were developed and built for that context and apply them to information control more broadly, that creates new questions because we don't have that sort of same sort of like democratic imperative necessarily. And we don't know whether or not we have to hold these companies to the same standard that we hold journalism institutions to, right? Like even if technically these companies are doing the same kind of job, same gatekeeping type of function as news media. Does that mean we need to think about their value the same way? So it's interesting because, so as you know, how doctors like have a rule of ethics that they have to abide by. Right. And if they break those rules, they are penalized in, in, in some way. Journalists have a code of ethics too. It's, it's not like, enforced in a way that leads to a penalty, but there is a a code of ethics that you abide by. And if you want to, you know, we talked about trust and credibility. If you want to build trust and credibility, um, you are urged in no uncertain terms to abide by, by this code of ethics. The problem is that when you have companies like Facebook and Twitter who are first recognizing that they have an in immense amount of control over information by, by, you know, saying that, Oh, we will you know, put limits a week before an election. And then also imposing restrictions that aren't necessarily going to make a difference. I think there's been many sort of experts and and, and scholars who have said that the limitations that Facebook announced are, are very loose. They're, they're not going to make a difference because, you know, 
the president of the United States could post misinformation on it and get away with it, even with those new rules, for example. The fact is that they're not, the, what's the word I'm looking for? They're not sort of, there's no oversight. Mm. There's no oversight over them. They are a company that are wants to make the most amount of profit. And there's no body that has any sort of um, control over their actions or could penalize them for their actions, even though many are trying right now to sort of reduce their anti-competitive behavior. So it's interesting when you think about it, you know, when it comes to the implementation of, of rules such as those that Facebook has announced for itself, we're basically asking a company with a lot of information to have control over how it disseminates it. Um, So we're basically leaving this gatekeeping role to a bunch of 20-something programmers under the the direction of this one 30-something CEO who has control over three of the biggest platforms used by the world. That's nuts. And that's clearly not gatekeeping. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's so interesting because it's like, it's very clearly a filtering role for information. It's very clearly that process of we've got all kinds of information and we're making choices about what shows up and what doesn't. And I mean, I think you're right. There's a lot of questions out there about the effectiveness with which their new decisions about what passes and what doesn't pass through that gate uh, you know, what that will look like. I think that um, there's some important distinctions between the kind of gatekeeping role that a company says they will play versus the role that they actually do play. And I think it's really interesting in our current climate to try and understand like the politics of gatekeeping, because there is this idea of gatekeepers as this benevolent force that help us learn about our political system and current affairs so that we can make good choices, which ideally the ethics of journalism supports. Mm-hmm. And and then there are these sort of displays of benevolent gatekeeping that these social media companies and search engines have had to start creating in order to convince us that, hey, we have a lot of power and control here. We're doing it for your benefit. Please continue to use our services. I think those are two very different ways of convincing people that the gatekeeping function is useful and helpful and please don't be afraid of it, right? Like there mm-hmm. there are different kinds of logic that are being used to convince the public to trust trust us as your gatekeepers. Well, it's also interesting because I think uh, the there's an onus on the public to now serve as gatekeepers almost, which uh which is probably doomed to fail, let's be honest. But it's interesting because if we're living in a world of preference where, where people and individuals get to choose what they read, by their choice, they can serve as a gatekeeper in, in a sense because they will choose whoever they trust the most to get their information. Is it possible that people aren't necessarily gatekeepers, but... They have more control now over which gates they go in and stand beside, right? So they, you know, they're not gatekeepers because they don't have access to all the information. They're not deciding what gets disseminated, but they are deciding what kind of flow of information they're interested in. So they're picking, oh, I'm going to go stand beside that gate. I've liked all of the information that came out of that gate so far. So I'm going to go get more of it from there. And that other gate, well, it's, 
been bad in the past. It was just clickbait. So I'm, I'm not going to bother. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think we are consumers more than we are sort of gatekeepers. Um, and, and I think our, our choices determine where the flow of information comes from more than any other thing. So do you think that we're at the point where we don't have gatekeepers at all, where we have too many gatekeepers that aren't in coordination with each other and so it's not a useful idea anymore? Or do we have just gatekeepers that we don't know enough about and you know, if we could just get enough information about those gatekeepers, then it would still be a useful theory? It depends on who you're asking. If you're asking me as a journalist, I would say that we have gatekeepers and and it is largely the news media industry, but I think we're not, we haven't been able to adapt that role in the digital age in an effective way. If you're asking me as a consumer of, of information, I would say, I don't know who the gatekeepers are. I don't even know if they exist because I can scroll on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook for hours. I will see at least 15 pieces of information. You know, if you ask my mom or if you ask a random person on the street, they would not know who the gatekeepers are because we don't watch BBC anymore. (laughs) We watch new segments on YouTube. (laughs) I hate to admit it, but that's what it is. Yeah. The way we consume information and the way information is produced has shifted drastically. Okay, so my last question for you is a little quiz. Okay. Can you tell me what gatekeeping theory is? Gatekeeping theory is the idea that information is controlled and disseminated by an organization that we trust to do so in a credible way. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think that that's a really good kind of view of what gatekeeping theory was when it was first established. It was this idea of these gatekeepers who were largely mainstream media sources. They were political elites. They were people who had some level of authority and credibility that that information they chose was was kind of benefited from. And then Really, it's a filtering process. And so in more recent studies, gatekeeping theory has evolved a little bit away from that idea of authority or credibility to just focusing on the function of filtering information. And a lot of our conversation really has pointed to to the, the limitations of focusing just on the filtering of information because actually the person doing the filtering, the gatekeeper themselves, is a pretty important part of our information ecosystem and understanding that system. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the various concepts and theories we talked about today, you can find links to many resources in our show notes or check out paulcomtech.ca.